This is Darrell Alia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions Podcast, episode 77. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions Podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions Podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. Hey, what's up? What's going on, BTM Tribe? We're back for another installment, guys, and I'm super excited for this episode this week. Today, we're interviewing Mitch Steffens. And Mitch is a real estate investor, a multimillionaire out of San Antonio, Texas. And on today's show, we talk a whole lot surrounding his business model, your business model, and the reason behind your business model, the reason behind your strategy, why you're doing the things that you're doing in real estate, or why you're even looking to do the things that you're doing in real estate. On this episode, we're often going to refer to notes. And if you don't know what a note is, just replace the word note with the mortgage. So if Mitch says that he has 100 notes, that means he has 100 mortgages he has to pay monthly on until they're sold. That's if you fix and flip. Or as a rental property investor, you have those notes in which tenants are paying him on those mortgages every single month. Now that's just for our scenario here today. There are cases, and it's actually very popular, in which you can hold the note and not be a landlord, okay? But for this scenario, Mitch is just interchanging the word mortgage with the note. So we are going to talk about how Mitch was a fixer and flipper in a general sense and how he found himself during a correction with all these properties in his portfolio. And again, this is the risk that fixers and flippers go through, that once that market turns, and it can turn very fast, you may have a lot of inventory that you haven't yet offloaded to a buyer. So what do you do in that scenario? Mitch is going to talk about what you did in that scenario and what he suggests that you do whenever, if ever, you find yourself in such a scenario. But predominantly, you guys, we're going to talk about your strategy, what type of strategy you're implementing down your real estate investing journey. Me, myself, I started all over the place, had no idea what direction to go in, what strategy was best for me and kind of how to even systematically figure all of that stuff out. Luckily, through a lot of those mishaps, I've kind of, over the years, kind of just refined what works for me. And I think that it'll be something that I'll refine for the rest of my life because as I go through different stages, my strategy is going to be different. And it's going to be different because my goals are going to be different. So, and I kind of just gave away the answer there, but if you're looking for a way to create your perfect strategy, to have the perfect business model when it comes to real estate, to figure out, well, this person is doing this, this person is doing this. How do I figure out where I kind of fall in the mix of things? And at first glance, it may seem like a lot of these different business models, especially when it comes to real estate, are very similar or if not the same. But as you get really clear on what your goals are, as you can start to define the future that you have for yourself or the future that you want for yourself and your family, you can then reverse engineer that goal to then find a real estate strategy that's going to best suit that goal. And we're going to get to this on the show, but I talk about this a lot, especially in our community, in our Facebook group and things like that. When you think about real estate and you think about the fact that you can wholesale, you think about the fact that you can fix and flip, you think about the fact that Maybe you can invest in large apartment buildings, you can invest in apartments, you can invest in mobile home parks, you can do note investing, as we kind of just, just discussed earlier. You can do single family homes, multifamilies. I mean, the list goes on, right? And all of these niches, they're very profitable. So it's not 
you know, at one point it becomes less about the money and more about, well, what else surrounds this model? How much time does it take? What's the manpower required? What are the funds that are required? How long is it? How complex is it? And you start to break down some of these other subcategories because again, the money goal is, is pretty straightforward, right? You start to break down some of these other sub- subcategories and it starts to become more about, well, what type of lifestyle do I want? I like to teach my coaching clients to not label themselves as wholesalers or fixers and flippers or even rental property owners. I want to build a community of real estate entrepreneurs. And you may have some, if not all of these tools in your tool belt, and you can execute on any of these tools at any given time. And when you're that dynamic, when you're that flexible, you are a real estate entrepreneur because now you're able to dictate whether or not you see a deal and you want to make a quick 10K spread with the wholesale or if you want to add that property in your portfolio. So as you begin to think about your business model, the ideal business model for you, start thinking about the life that you want to live first. And once you get clarity on that, you can start to reverse engineer and figure out which real estate vehicle is going to best gear you towards that lifestyle, the people that you want to impact, the amount of money you want to make, how you want to make that money, how much you want to work for that money, your location. You know, If you need help with that plan, and I think everybody does at one point in time, but if you need help with that plan, we'd love to help you. We help individuals like you every single day come up with this plan, get some clarity around what's working, what's not working, what their goal is in the future, and how to quickly get there. So if you like for me and my team to help you with this plan, because it's time to create your ideal business model, then book a call with us. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. That link is going to take you to a scheduling page. On that scheduling page, you're going to see different times. Pick a time that works best for you. Then you'll be taken to a short application so that we can get to know you and your situation better so that we'll come prepared to our breakthrough call for you and get you to your goal all the quicker. This call has been powerful for so many others in the past, and it can be just as powerful for you. Let's create that strategy together. Don't do it by yourself. Don't think that you're all alone on this journey. Don't feel as though you can't possibly create a strategy because you don't even know all the strategies out there. You don't even know if there's a such strategy that's going to suit exactly what you want to do and how you want to do it and when you want to do it. You know, I think about the fact that my strategy is not the strategy that most people may subscribe to. I mean, yes, my real estate strategy per se is, but not my business model. My real estate strategy, similar to my clients, is having all these tools in my tool belt, finding motivated sellers, helping them out of their situation and making a profit in the process. Everything that happens during that process and after that process is a variable, meaning that there can be so many different ways to go about doing a deal. But my business model, and again, this is something, this is just another component of such a business. When you're clear on your vision or your goal and what you want to do, for a lot of us, real estate is not going to be something that we're passionate about. It's just a means to an end. It's just a vehicle. So me, for an example, I want to empower people. I want to empower you to aim for your wildest dreams. That's what I want to do. That's what I feel as though I was called to do. You only get one life to live. You're only this age once. Your life is one story. You get a redo. You don't get to go back in your 20s. I don't like to accept, oh, I'll try that next time. Oh, I'm too young. Or I'll do that in five years. I don't want this age. I'm 28 right now. I don't want 28 to pass me by and I regret not having done something or tried something or, or been something because I'm never going to get this back again. And it's something I quite frankly dreaded when I had a W-2 corporate job and I we used to go every single year and do the same thing. And there wasn't any real progress. Like, yes, you would get that five to 6% raise, whatever it is. But I mean, what's the real progress in your life? So if I can motivate and empower people to do something crazy, to do something out there, to do what they really want to do, live the life that they felt as though they were called to live, then I would do that all day long. And you got to admit, it's pretty hard to do something like that, to take a leap of faith, to go out and do whatever it is you're called to do. If you don't have what a lot of us consider a necessity, which is an income stream to provide for ourselves, right? So although my vehicle of teaching of choice is real estate, my goals and visions are for each and every single one of you to do what it is that you're called to do. So what are you called to do? What are you passionate about? How is real estate going to help facilitate that? That's the frame of mind I want you to enter this episode with. And that's also the frame of mind that I want you guys to enter this call with when you book it with our team at beforethemillions.com slash call, because everybody's strategy is going to be different. You know, I love the fact that I can give you guys the tools to do something like maybe even build a podcast. And it's not going to be along the same lines as to why I started a podcast or why I have a podcast. For me, it's one of the best marketing tools for my coaching, point blank period, for my consulting, for my real estate business. 
from the outside looking in, a lot of my friends, a lot of my close friends, if you ask them what I did in real estate, they probably wouldn't be able to tell you. If you ask them about my podcast, they'd probably tell you, yeah, my friend Ray, he has a podcast. It's about lifestyle design. It's about real estate. But they wouldn't be able to articulate to you that it's a marketing mechanism. It's not the end all be all, but that it leads to a masterminding with people that ordinarily wouldn't even look my way. Oh, and by the way, it leads to my high ticket products, such as a mastermind, the mastermind that I'll be starting next year, 2019. Look out for that. It leads to my vision to have speaking engagements all over the world. It leads to investors wanting, lining up to invest in my deals. It leads to partnerships. It funnels to my coaching program, a coaching program that is set to do six figures this year. And in 2019, combined with my mastermind group and speaking, I'm trying to hit the mill, guys. That's just BTM. It directly impacts my goal of doubling my real estate portfolio over at Urban Wealth, my other company, every single year. Now, I have a friend, he's a broker, and he has a podcast, he has a platform. And it's not for the same reason I have it, because he's a broker. He's looking for investors. So on his podcast, you better believe that he's gearing that towards investors. So everything he does is in alignment. We may have a similar business model, but our goals are different. So when you're clear on your goal, you can really, really hone in on your strategy. And you can move forward without the fear of a misstep. You can move forward without the fear of what if this is not the right thing? What if this is not the direction I'm supposed to be going in? What if this is not the best option? You can move forward without all of that when you have a goal and your strategy directly reflects your goal. Now, I want to create a thriving real estate business. I want to create a thriving investment portfolio. And those are two totally different things, by the way, guys. One is, one is active and one is passive. And I want to create a thriving coaching platform. For you, I mean, you may want to have a platform like a podcast, like a YouTube channel to help others get started. I mean, yours may be geared towards personal finances. You may want to help people manage their money. You may want to have a local meetup. And this meetup, maybe you're teaching people how to bird dog for you and find deals for you. You may be a software developer and you're jumping into real estate to create those passive streams so that you no longer have to work for Google or Facebook or Apple or whatever it is. And you can go create the next bigger pockets platform. I mean, the possibilities are endless. In real estate, guys, we're just going to have a set of tools to get us to our goals. And that's me putting it in its simplest form. The tools that I personally love to talk about and teach about, you guys already know them. I love to focus on a lot of things other podcasters, other investors don't focus on. You know, I come from a place where it's not about hard work and hustle. I've done that. I've been there. And if it was about hard work and hustle, then we'd see a lot of people, a lot of laborers out there that work harder than anybody else make a whole lot of money if that's what it was about. So I come from a place to where, I mean, I want to constantly talk about mindset. And those are the type of tools I want to give every single one of you. I want to give you guys those mindset tools. I want to give you guys those those real estate tools. Every single episode, we bring on a guest that's in a different field in real estate, that's in a different region, that has a different model, that has different criteria. So you get the mindset piece. You get the real estate pieces. You get the business piece. We bring on so many entrepreneurs on the show that have no idea how to get started in real estate, but they run successful businesses, but they have successful systems in place. Even when it comes to thought leadership, that's another tool. And as I give you guys all these tools, although they might be spread out over the past 77 episodes, they're here and they're free and they're for the taking for those who are hungry. All of these same tools actually teach my clients, my personal coaching clients, actually teach them step-by-step. So that would be the only difference, guys. You guys aren't getting these step-by-step hand-holding strategy sessions and learnings and implementations and accountability, but you are getting all the ingredients. It's not just about me and my programs, by the way. I'm talking about that type of assistance in general. I cannot stress that enough. At the end of the day, I want you guys to reach out to a lot of the guests. A lot of you guys do this all the time. I mean, I get so many guests contact me after the show and they say, hey, DeRay, thank you so much for having me on. Quite a few people from your show have reached out. Some of them have signed up for our coaching. Some of them invest in my market and want to do deals together. I'm just like, man, this is awesome. So you have the resources, guys. I love when you guys gravitate to these guests. I personally feel gravitated to Mitch, today's guest. And it's really cool because I'm going to get to be on his podcast tomorrow. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So it is one of my favorite episodes today. Mitch is a ton of fun. And even from the get-go of the interview, like he's going to have you laughing. He's going to have you just in deep thought about what you're doing and if that's the right move for you. He's going to tell you about some of his, his experiences and how he was only about that upfront cash. He was only about large sums of money for a long time. You know, he was a wholesaler. He was a fixer and flipper. And one day he realized that, I mean, this is a lot of work and this is not sustainable in the long term. 
without the high demand of his time and without the high pressure of knowing that he has to put in work to create that same amount of revenue the next month. So he wanted his life to change. He wanted his lifestyle to change. He wanted his business to change too. And again, I'm kind of getting into the episode now. So let me stop. So he took his experiences and he created what he likes to coin a forever cash strategy. And that strategy, ladies and gentlemen, is what we are going to uncover today. So let's get to the show. DeRay's Tip of the Week. Okay, so I feel like I've given you guys a whole lot to digest and we're barely into the tip of the week. So maybe I'll just keep this week's tip of the week short and sweet, but I'll make sure that it still falls in line with our team. And I probably need to go ahead and implement this tip of the week right now in my personal life because I am tired. (laughs) It was a long intro. No, but seriously, the tip of the week this week, guys, is to rest. R-E-S-T. Yeah. Just kick back, relax, and rest. Get some sleep. Relax. Enjoy yourself. Just chill. Why is that the tip of the week this week? Well, the theme for this episode is business strategy, right? And what is a business strategy without an essential part of that strategy, which is resting? Yes, guys. Resting is a part of your business. One of the most important parts of your business. Your business cannot run, cannot function without you. It's head. You need rest. There's no such thing as I'm too busy to sleep. I'm too busy to stop. I'm too busy to take a break. I'm too busy to rest. The break is the business. Take that break because when you get back, you're going to feel refreshed. Let's talk about before you get back. You take that break and it's in those moments where we're not actually thinking about work, we're not actually thinking about business, but we're relaxing, we're watching TV, we're staring at the off in the clouds, whatever it is, it's in those moments that we'd have that aha or that epiphany moment or that I know what to do next moment because we're not straining, we're not stressed, we're not so focused on a solution. So rest is the work. Go rest, please. Save your business. <laughs> Help your business by resting. You will not sleep when you're dead. You will sleep now. You will sleep good. You will sleep well. And then you will get back to work and you will kill it. It's not only resting. Exercise is a part of your business. And I don't say that jokingly. I take my exercise regimen very seriously. There are studies, and you guys already know this, so I'm not going to go into this, but there are studies that have proven time and time again how beneficial it is to exercise, to move your muscles, maybe just take a walk around the neighborhood but how beneficial that is to your mindset, to your clarity. And going back to what I just said about these aha, these epiphany moments, sometimes when they happen at the gym for me, (laughs) it just hits me like a ton of bricks and I just sit there. I'm just like, wow, I'm so glad I got away from that. I'm so glad I got away from being in the minutia of my business because I just took a step back and the clarity that I just got is going to help me push my business forward so much better, faster, more efficient than if I didn't constantly take this time to get some clarity to step away, to think about other things, to relax, to rest. So in a nutshell, guys, rest and exercise and everything else that goes along with self-care. Self-care is business care. So let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. On today's episode, I'm super, super excited. We have another investor on the show. And this investor comes out of the beautiful city of San Antonio, Texas. Mitch, how's it going today? It's going really good, man. I appreciate you having me on today. Take it back in the time machine. Let's get to know younger Mitch and what you were doing back in the day, the inception of the entrepreneurial Mitch. Were you, did you go to college? Were you studying to be an engineer and that just wasn't your path? I mean, what kind of trajectory were you going down before you kind of discovered real estate? I was a professional dumbass. Okay. So far up my butt, it wasn't even funny. I didn't even find myself until I was 36 you know, I didn't even find my butt with both hands until I was 36 years old. I'm 57 now. So everything I'm about to talk to you happened within the last 20 years. Now, it wasn't that I wasn't trying. I was trying. And I went to a couple of semesters of college. Wasn't impressed at all. <laughs> Found out my college professor made $60,000 a year and couldn't pay his bills. And he wanted to teach me about life. I thought, well, this, is, this sucks. I'm paying this guy who is not making any real money and can't even manage the money he has. And I thought, this is the most screwed up program in the whole wide world. You know, if I'm going to listen to someone, they need to be making a million bucks and they need to, you know, have an 850 credit score. So anyways, I started out on that journey. I jumped off and all my friends went to college and I didn't go to college. I like to say I eventually got, I don't think you ever graduate from this college, but I, I enrolled in La Calle U, 
Lakaye means the street. So uh, I, started, I started learning from the street. The most expensive university in the world. So far, it's cost me $850,000 that I know of. And it shows no sign of letting up. <laughs> I don't know how many semesters are in this college, but it's been going for years. They're not letting me graduate because I seem to keep learning something every day. And most of the time, it costs me money. So it's 850000 just a few handful of deals I can think of that cost me that much over my career. But I always had the, the bartending job or the, the job of the day. But then I also had the entrepreneurial business of the month, which I went through many, many businesses. And I like people say, well, how'd you end up with real estate? And I said, well, I failed at everything else. It was the last thing left. So, yeah. You know, my first book, Failing Forward to Financial Freedom, is about falling down and getting back up for years figuring out what, you know, well, that's not working or that's not for me or I really thought I liked that, but I don't like it at all. It's not what I thought it was going to be. A lot of businesses I got in seemed to get you on a hamster wheel and you'd get the overhead and then you couldn't get off and you were running to pay the rent and the employees and it was a sickening feeling. Every Friday you had to perform or you were in a bad way. So yeah. what were some of the, I guess, what were some of those businesses? Was it a restaurant? What were some of the things that you were kind of venturing out to, to opening and starting that, that you didn't? quite see success at first. One that steps out was the the one that made it the furthest, but still it didn't fail, but I broke I broke was the striping business. I was putting stripes on parking lots and on roads and on curbs and, you know, I painted the pavement and it was Mitchell striping and I started that in the early eighties and I sold my drum set for seven hundred and fifty bucks and two and a half years later it was gross at seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, but I couldn't get anyone to pay me. And I couldn't take my stripes back if they didn't pay me. I say I couldn't get anyone, but there was some major, the bigger the companies, the longer they would take to pay me. And I couldn't sue them because the job wasn't worth, you know, any more. I mean, the lawsuit would cost more than the job. So uh, the other problem with that business is it was 24 hour a day business. You striped parking lots at night. You did the business and bought the paint and got the jobs and tried to do collections and paid the bills during the day. So it was a 24 hour a day job. And I learned that I could break this body and I had been known to work 24 hours, 48 hours, even 36 hours one time in a row. I could get it all done and then uh, my body just sat down and said, well, if you're not going to stop, we're just going to stop for you and it just stopped. Your mindset at the time and it sounds like you were a budding entrepreneur and as most budding entrepreneurs go through, they go through the, the startup phase and this phase of learning and growing and again, you learned you know, you got took a first class degree in learning from the streets. I mean, you said it yourself and you started as an entrepreneur, but I think about the business that you had. And my first question is, was it a business? I mean, when you think about the fact that you're working 24 seven and you're the, it sounds like you're the sole employee. If you did have anybody else, it sounds like, the, I mean, you're still working 24 seven. So was it a business where you self-employed or did you give yourself a job in which you found that this model wasn't going to be able to, I mean, you weren't able to multiply. You were more so stuck in pigeonholed. I mean, what kind of progressed from there? What were some of the realizations that you started encountering? Well, no one told me about that. <laughs> no one told me that, you know, the difference between getting yourself a job and owning a business. I thought I owned a business, you know, I learned, I found out that the business owned me. I, I found out that you know, it wasn't smart to do the work. It, it was smart to have the company and to run the company, but it wasn't smart to do the work. And I found out that you can't muscle your way through in a real business. You know, I was trying to muscle my way through. Um, my mind, my discipline I was very disciplined. I was very responsible. I wouldn't miss and I would hold myself accountable and I did all the right things. I just didn't know about how to work on a business instead of in a business, but I learned. Yeah. So let's talk about you, that process of learning. I mean, you gathered, you know, quite a few things from that experience. So when you took the learning process and everything that you kind of took from that experience, what did you go on to do next and kind of, uh, you know, take us through the next, I guess, journey of your life to where you're just like, hmm, this is what I learned from the situation. And this is kind of what I'm doing now. And even this may be another learning process before we get to real estate, because I know that real estate when you finally got there, I mean, that was where you were kind of putting your stake in. Like, I mean, it's, you've been, you've been here in real estate for over 20 years now. So I still want to walk through that progression because many people find real estate in a ton of different ways. And it's because of some of those things that you went through that you found real estate. So maybe what was next? Well, so it took me a year to a year to a year and a half to recover. I had what really a nervous breakdown, but, but it was from exhaustion. I was just exhausted. And it took me a long time to, I don't know, be able to laugh or really let go and have fun again. So I was just, I just ran myself through a gauntlet that I, sh I shouldn't have done it, but I didn't know better. I thought I was 
proven to be a strong guy, you know. So then I was just recovering and I bought a little one bedroom condo to own that someone owner financed me. And then it got kind of small and I I decided I'd rent it out and I went and bought because I had an opportunity to buy a two bedroom condo down the street. And then I figured out if I rented out my one bedroom condo and then I rented out the other bedroom in my two bedroom condo that I was going to move to, that I would live for free or even make 50 bucks a month, you know, potentially. And that was a far cry from where I was because I was having to pay for pay to live. So I did that and I was living for free for a while. And then I decided to sell those apartments, to sell those two condos. And I sold them really, really, the closings were really close together, like within a few days or a few weeks, I don't remember. But I remember that I, I made like twice as much as I made at my, my job for the year. And I was looking at that check and I'd never seen that kind of money before in one place that was mine. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe I better look into this. And then I started studying about rent houses and real estate and read, started reading books. Of course, they didn't have the internet back then. So you had to do it all with cassette tapes. If you, you know, I bought a couple of courses, but I was even typical of a lot of people. I got the courses, but I didn't even take the cellophane off of some of them. So I wanted to look into it, but I was overwhelmed by the vernacular, by the terms, by the whole thing. I mean, I, I would read the stuff and I could understand English and I could read pretty good. You know, I understood the words, but the concepts were a little out of my reach. It'd be like, I don't know, are you a computer programmer? <laughs> I was, I'm an expert. Okay, so if someone starts reading to you about, you know, some kind of code, I mean, you could kind of understand, but you don't really understand. You know what I mean? And I, I was kind of there. So, but I just kept reading and I just kept trying, but I learned everything in my whole life by accident. Mitch Steven has to get hit in the head with a baseball bat of an idea before you go, oh, that's what that book was talking about. I, I, now I know what's, now I know. And almost every one of my revelations or every one of my steps happens like that. I've been reading about it. I've been, people have been talking to me about it or I've been listening to it and then I'll get in a situation and it'll kind of fall in my place like a nothing down deal with, because I made some transactions and I close it and I go, wow, I just did a nothing down deal. I, I didn't plan to make a nothing down deal, but I just did. And then all of a sudden now I can, now I can start doing it all the time because I lived it. I love that. I love that. So, you know, going down your path, I mean, you stumbled again, you were an accidental and, and you're an accidental real estate investor. And you, you think about the fact that you were looking for the type of deal that you specialize in now. I mean, you were looking for an owner finance deal. You were looking to, uh, I guess, to, to, to have payments over a certain amount of time so that eventually you can own the home. Well, in the beginning, I was looking for someone to finance me the purchase or give because I didn't have any money. So one of the biggest revelations was, you know, everyone says you don't have to have money to be in the real estate game. Like you can do real estate deals with zero down, you know, and I, I knew that and I read the Robert Allen book, nothing down and I, I could see how it would work. But, you know, I didn't own the concept in my heart. Mm. I was reading it, but did I really believe that I could do it? I wasn't so sh I wasn't convinced. And then I did a couple of deals on my own with nothing down. And all of a sudden it was like, once I owned it in my heart, I can make offers on the whole town. I didn't care if it was a 30 story tall skyscraper or what. It, I, could, I understood it then. I can make offers on anything. If the deal's good enough and I got enough time before closing, I have a really good chance of finding someone to come with the money under some terms, whether they're 50-50 partner or they're something. So when you don't have, my first really big lesson was, is when you don't have money, you're a professional deal finder. And if you're really good at finding really good deals, money just kind of flows into it. All you are really, you're not that important to the, to the finding the money. You're important in finding the deal and contracting it up, you know, writing it down and getting the terms and everything so that you can win. That's important. But after that, you're not important. All you are is two legs, two arms, and a megaphone. So you use your two legs to walk around town. You got your two arms to hold up your deal, and your mouth is your megaphone saying, hey, look at this fantastic deal I got. Who wants a piece of this? Bring the money. And that's all you do is you walk around town saying that. And Man. someone will show up. They'll go, well, let me see the deal. And then they look at the deal and go, holy crap, that is a good deal. And then you go, you got the money? And they go, yeah, I got the money. So, well, you want you want X piece of it for that money? Yeah. What happens if I don't get paid? I guess you get the deal by yourself if you don't if it doesn't pay. You get it. So you're putting up the money. If it, if it doesn't work out, you get the you get the house. Okay. So I, I did a few deals with fifty percent partners, and then I figured out I could buy houses on my credit cards, and I bought my first hundred houses without partners on my credit card. 
Mm. I said, since the houses were cheap 20 years ago in San Antonio, Texas, you could buy a house for $10,000, $15,000 all day long, $25,000 every day in the classifieds. If you could get in the classifieds 20 years ago, and this is going to break all y'all's heart right now because it's not that easy now, but back in 20 years ago, you could get in the classifieds and you could, you could start at 8 o'clock and you'd have a house under contract by noon every single time. And if you screwed up, you'd have two houses under contract or three. And then you'd have to worry about where the hell you're going to get the money for all three of them in the next 30 days. So... My goodness, Mitch. <laughs> so I figured out, you know, they wanted $15,000 for this house and it needed $10,000 for the rehab. So I, I looked at my credit cards. They were 0% interest. I said, well, give me 10000 on this card. Give me 10000 on that card. That's 20000 And give me 5000 on this card. You know, that's 25000 I got enough to buy this house and fix it. And I'm going to sell it for $49,000. And I don't owe anything on the house. It's got flights free and clear. So at the closing, they'd give me all the money. Now I would run back home. And if I used a credit card, one penny off that credit card, I glued it into the folder or taped it into the folder of that house because I wasn't going to get in that deal where I got so confused I didn't remember where my debt was or anything. And I'm kind of ADD and I'm not real good at stuff. So if I used one penny on a card, then that card was to be used for no other house. So I put the two cards inside there. When I got the when I sold that thing for 49000 I got the whole 49000 wired to my account because there's no debt on it. And then I'd run home and my wife would say, I'd say, all right, go to this file, 123 Main Street, find all the credit cards that are taped to the inside, call them up, find out the balances, send them checks and tell me how much it is total so I can figure out how much profit we made. And we would close them out every time. And, I had, and back in the day, if you had good credit, they didn't check to see how much available credit you had and hold it against you. They just, if you had good credit, you got their card and you got the maximum credit advance limit, 15, 20, 25, sometimes $30,000. So I just went out and started applying for every credit card. I had 45 credit cards. And if I wanted to, I could get 600,000 cash on my kitchen table. You know, it'd take me about 15 days. But if I went to every one of them and got all the advances, I could get 600,000 on my kitchen table. And eventually, I guess a lot of people took that 600,000 and went to Mexico. And that's why they changed the rules. You know what I mean? They don't let you get that many credit cards without penalizing your credit now. Yeah. But so it wasn't unusual for me to have $250,000 worth of houses free and clear. But... I'd have, you know, when they were worth 600000 or 500000 or whatever, but and then I'd have $250,000 worth of credit card debt. And that freaked my wife out bad. But I knew what those houses were worth, and we practically got divorced over that a couple times until I gave her some hush money. You know what hush money is? <laughs> you know what hush money is? I do. I sell, I sell a couple of houses, and I go open a bank account for her, and I put like thirty, forty thousand, 40000 which is like she made $36,000 a year at the time. I went and put $36,000 in her account and says, now will you please be quiet? Will you please hush up? Oh, my goodness. Leave me alone. Oh, you know? my goodness. Get off my ass. What do you want me to do? Work at Walmart? <laughs> that was a green. You want me to be a greeter at Walmart? You want me to flip burgers? What do you want me to do? I just put 30, I put a year's worth of your salary in your account. Will you please shut up? There you go. She was not an entrepreneur. I drug her into entrepreneurialism like a caveman. I drug her by the back of the hair and she was kicking and screaming the whole time. When are you going to get a real job? I said, what do you mean a real job? I just made more than you made in a year and a month. What are you talking about? All you do is go to lunch. You don't understand what I do. <laughs> I ran a car all day. You don't understand what I do. I took her to two houses, the worst two houses I could ever find with all the cat crap and fleas and everything. I made sure they were hoarder houses, you know, the horrible ones. I said, hey, let me show you what I do for all day. She's never been to a house after those two. Oh, man. 2,000 houses in my career for 20 years. She's been to two. That, I took her to those two, the kinds when it's 105 in the summer and you open the door and it kind of pops like a, like, you know, you know, the, uh, the, pressure the worst, the worst. <laughs> yeah. Then you pull your shirt up over your nose, you know, and you go in and you look at it. That's the two houses I took her to. Mitch, why'd you do that? <laughs> well, she says, I ain't going in there. I says, yeah, you are going in there. You say I don't have a job. You think this is all, you think I don't do anything. This is what I do. Come in this house. She says, I'm not going in the house. I drug her in the house. She says, God, it stinks. I said, it stinks. I stood up on the coffee table and I took a big deep breath. <laughs> I said, <laughs> That's the smell of money, honey. That's what it smells like. <laughs> That's what it smells like in the raw. Wow. Wow. So she left. Wow. Never went back again, and she quit bothering me about having a job. Wow. What a story, Mitch. What a story. I mean, this is, man, you, you, like, you busted so many beliefs. Like, I, I know the listeners are, are, are just like, wow. Like, this is Oh, it's worse than that, man. I even called her. She was, my wife is so responsible. She worked for a headhunting company, an employment company. She was, she was there every morning. She drove an 
afford an hour to get there and an hour home and she stayed late and she went early and she, you know, she, I was looking at the dedication of this woman. I said, damn, I need that lady on my team. I says, come work for me. She goes, well, how am I going to get paid? I says, I can pay you. She's, she couldn't understand it. I says, what do you mean how are you going to get paid? I just put $36,000 in your bank account. What do you mean? I can pay you. I put it in your bank account in one month, all total. I can certainly divide it by 12 and pay you out. <laughs> you know, but she's not an entrepreneur. She's afraid, afraid, afraid. She, to, to her credit, she lost her father when she's seven. She lost her mother when she's 21. Two men divorced her and left her with babies. I've been married 27 years now to her, but she would spend her whole life trying to keep a, a home together. And so I was scaring the hell out of her. I called her boss and, told, and gave my wife's resignation. He's, my, the boss said, does your wife know this yet? I said, no, but I'll let her know as soon as we agree on the terms or how long you need. <laughs> we're going to make this a smooth transition. You've been very good to her and very good to us. I'm going to treat you. We want to treat you fair, but let's get it all worked out, and then I'll tell her what the deal is. Wow. He goes, you think this is really going to work out? I said, yeah, it's going to work out. I, he says, why are you doing this? I said, because she needs to be making me money, not you money. She's making you a hell of a living, and I don't see any reason why she shouldn't be here doing it for me. She's a hell of a responsible person. You know she is. And he goes, you're right. He says, I don't blame you one bit. I love that. Wow. Mitch, that's some, that's some insight. That is some insight. <laughs> well, she wasn't happy about it. She, but she is now. She's very yeah. happy about it. Yeah, she is. I took, I, you know, I got the limousine and the balloons and the sunroof, and we let them, all the balloons out the sunroof, and we got in, and everyone waved goodbye, and we went into self-employment. She's never been back. See, that's the beauty of it. I mean, that's the beauty of the lifestyle. And you think about the fact that you got started. You got started with partners. You got started with credit cards. So I guarantee you 90% of the people out there that don't want to get started, don't know how to get started, think they can't get started. It's because of money. I could have borrowed the money for those deals if I'd have known that I, if someone, if I'd have known that I could, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I just thought no one was going to loan me money because I didn't have you know, all those excuses. I was too short. I was too fat. I was too young. I was too inexperienced. I don't know anybody with money. All those excuses. All I had to do was ask to borrow the money at eight or 10%. I would have gotten given them a first lien on the house. I would have gotten, had no partners, but I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. yeah. Yeah. I mean, even with what you did, it's spectacular. And I hope the listeners can take away from that. Now, kind of moving down your path a little bit further. And now you're getting experience. Now you're, you're building momentum. You're building your snowball. You're learning, you're learning, you're investing, you're investing, you're making money. You're starting to get a hang of this. You're getting confidence. What's maybe one of the best or maybe one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And this can be an investment of money, an investment of time, or an investment of energy. There's so many, man. There's hard to say. Let me say this, though, because I want to keep the track. No, I'll, I'll go back to that. So I had a job making about $3,000 a month, too, which was not a spectacular job. And I decided I was going to try this real estate thing full time because I'd had a, I put from the sale of my car, I put a year's worth of salary in, in the bank. And I jumped off. I did March of 1996, and I did 45 deals that year. Then the next year, I did 65 deals. And then the next year, my third year, I did 150 houses. I bought exactly 150 houses, and I sold exactly 97 of them. And in 2000, January 1st, 2000, I had 53 vacant houses for sale in my inventory. And then I had a tragedy happen in my life. I lost somebody. And then 30 days before that happened, associates closed, and my business of buying and selling notes closed right along with it. And then... 30 days after that tragedy, 9-11 happened. So like the, my whole world was falling apart. Everything was falling apart. My personal life just had a disaster. My way of business was shut down because I was buying houses, selling them on owner financing and selling the notes. And then the note buyers associates, which was a division of Ford Motor Credit, where every single third party note transaction ended up eventually. They might have sold it to Bob or Joe, but they were all bundling it up and selling it to associates. So when associates, when their, when their exit strategy closed, everybody closed and everybody went broke. But I didn't go broke. I did some things on accident that I didn't know that I did. I created a shitload of notes and I couldn't sell the notes and make the 10 and 20 and $30,000 a piece. But I had, you know, I just, if I sold the 50 houses and I made $500 a month cash flow, I was making $25,000 a month on cash flow, not counting the down payments or anything. So really what the, what the disaster proved to me was I didn't need to sell the notes. Why the hell was I selling the notes? Why was I doing that? Well, I was addicted to that $20,000 check, but when I sold them, you know, but, but if you hold the notes, you have like 120,000 coming to you or you get 20,000 cash or if you 
hold the notes for the long term over the years, 30 years, you know, $500 a month cash flow for 30 years is $180,000. Would you sell that note and make 35,000 or whatever? You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's that big aha moment. I see many fixers and flippers come to. That's a big aha moment. I see many wholesalers come to. And that's quite honestly why I teach all of my clients to utilize all of these tools in their tool belt. Don't label yourself as a wholesaler. Don't label yourself as a fixer and flipper. You have to also be able to play the long-term game. So what you should do is you should look around and depending on your situation and what's currently going on, some properties that you're going to add into your portfolio that's going to make you two to $500 a month. There are some properties that you're going to want to wholesale or that you're going to want to fix and flip. That alone is not going to be how you're going to be able to build wealth. When it's just like when you first, I mean, even rental investing, when you think about the fact, oh, I can make $200 a month on this. Eh, okay. That's not really going to put a big dent into my expenses. Or I can make 20 grand by flipping this or, or wholesaling this, whatever the case may be. That sounds good. I mean, that's, a, that's how a lot of people think. And you know, a lot of people on this, that, that listen to this show, I mean, these are long-term buy and hold investors. These people want to create cash flow. These people want to leave their day jobs. These people want to subsidize their income. And the best way to do that, the best way to get a return on your money is kind of what you're alluding to now and what you experience. And when you realize that, you're like, wait, wait a minute. I was, I told you I have to get hit in the head with a baseball bat with a concept. <laughs> so they closed. I didn't have a choice. I said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? The whole world's coming to an end. I'm not going to be able to sell any more notes. It's a disaster. For seven days, I walked around in a cold sweat in a sheer panic. And then one day I just looked in the mirror and said, okay, well, time to quit being afraid and figure out what you're going to do. And I sat down with a couple of smart people and said, what the hell do I do now? And they said, well, you used to buy a house, create a note, and then sell the note and make your money. He says, now you're just going to buy a house and create a note. You're going to eliminate one step from what you have to do. It's going to get easier and you're going to be fine. And I said, how am I going to be fine? He says, well, what do you got? 50 houses in inventory? I said, yeah. He says, how much your average down payment? I said, I don't know, $5,000. He says, okay, go, go to work selling them. You get $5,000 on each one. That's $25,000 cash in your pocket. And then how much is your average profit? I said, oh, I don't know, about 500 cash flow usually between what I owe and what they owe me. And they said, okay, well, that's 25000 a month. I mean, you can't live off that. What's the problem? And then if you do it again, <laughs> another 50, that'll be 50000 a month. And if you, if you get 150 notes, that'll be $75,000 a month coming in. You know, I have over 300 notes, brother. You know, <laughs> I don't need to sell a note anymore. And my average down payment now is ten and $12,000. Yeah. So what I teach now is just how to live off the down payments and never have to touch the cash flow. Just watch it keep Ooh. going up and up and up and up and up until you really don't have to work. Now, that's there's still one more step because, see, this is what I want to point out. When you do a wholesale deal, right, you do a wholesale deal, you're in and you're out and you get one check. What's the average wholesale profit? I'm looking at around 10,000. I'm picking up 10. I'm averaging 10 to 12 right now. So I'm averaging more than you. Where you're killing yourself is you haven't learned to raise the private money because if you get over the private money, I get to hold on to the back end of that. Every deal I do, I make between, you know, around 8 to 10,000 to 12,000. But wholesalers out of the game at that point. Yep. I made my money, but I, they still owe me 360 months of $500 cash flow. That's 180000 That's how you get rich is that one extra step. Yep. So wholesalers getting his five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, maybe it gets lucky every now and then makes 15 or 20, but he's out. I make my 5, 10, 15, 20. Maybe I get lucky, get 30000 down, but I'm still in the game for the remainder of the, the years. I sell all my houses on 30-year notes. So if I'm clearing 400, you know, it's 120,000 they still owe me. If I'm clearing 500 a month cash flow, it's 180,000 dollars they owe me. So every house I do, imagine my financial. Oh, he got 10,000 and they owe him 100. They got 10,000 owes 120. Here's the guy 10, they owe him 150. Here's one another 120. My my financial statements going up by the deal by $100,000 almost every time. My net worth. Yep. You look up and you're worth the difference between making a good living and being a multi, 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 multi-millionaire is the private money. Because with the private money, I get to stay in the middle for decades. Yep, you're so and right. I'm not a landlord. It's not my air conditioner. So when I get the check, there's no one calls me to give it back to them. No one calls. It's my money. I'm not responsible for hardly anything. Now, I lose the appreciation, okay, which is a good reason to be a landlord. It's appreciation and depreciation. Yeah. But... I bought this house for 50 and I sold it for 130 days. I mean, how much appreciation do you landlords want? You want to annualize that? 
Yeah. There's a 100% increase in 30 days over 12, if you annualize it, which means over 12 months, that's a 1,200% increase. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. arguments, right. See, I'm not right. back landlording because there's been a lot of millionaires. Been about, but if that's not your gig, which it wasn't for me, I was either the worst landlord in the world or I just really didn't like it, but it's probably a combination of both. Yeah. I just liked owner financing. Now, if you're going to owner finance, you have to take it another step because you got you got one-time cash. I'm quoting Jack Bosch now, yep. the book Forever Cash. You got one-time cash. That's your wholesalers or your flippers. They do a deal. They cash out of it. They get one check. It's over. Right? And, their tax, and, and they're taxed at what tax rate? <laughs> yeah, it all goes to their tax rate, maximum yeah, tax rate. Exactly. The temporary cash is what I do for a living. I get some money up front. I got money come. I build cash flow on the backside, but it's all going to expire because it's a note, right? Notes in. They have a they have a termination date, and notes don't last thirty years. I mean, the average note will last about seven seven years. Yep, seven, seven and a half. But I think it's gone up to ten now. I heard. I haven't verified it, but um, which makes some sense. People. So I have to take another step. So I have to take the money that I make from the one time cash deals and the temporary cash deals. And I have to buy in with that wealth that I build with those strategies. I have to buy into a forever cash strategy. And my forever cash strategy is a little different than yours. You like, you're going for apartments, okay? I'm in mini storages, boat storages. To me, it's the only rent I want to collect. It's, it's the eviction is very, there's not much resistance in an eviction. There's not a big fight. I'm not displacing families or changing kids' school districts or anything. I'm just taking their shit, which is not worth anything to anybody. You know what I mean? And all that stuff on storage wars is bullshit. Okay, because ain't nothing in those things worth it. <laughs> you know, there's not one person on that show that's not an actor, and the whole thing staged from the very beginning to the end. There's not. Oh, wow. I believe it. <laughs> Only in America can our reality TV be fake, and everyone, it's like a World Wrestling Federation. Our reality TV is not even real. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I do. So I, I took the wealth and I bought 14 storage locations around the lake where I live. I am, have 1,300 doors right now and I'm fixing to have 1,600 doors because I'm building a 300-unit 300 300 facility. And every one of those people owe me $92 at the first of the month on average. So do the math real quick. 1,300 people times, just say $100. Yeah, that's $130,000 a month coming in. Now I don't get to keep it all but I get to keep plenty and I still buy a hundred houses a year, more or less. Wow. Wow. So I'm using my house business and I keep throwing it over the money I make. I keep throwing it over into the storage business because the storage is forever. I'm renting those units. And then when it ends, it'll be because I decide it ends, not because the note runs out or time runs out or whatever. It'll end when I decide it ends. So that's my forever cash strategy. So last year I bought 88 houses. And it's the toughest market I've ever seen. I'm usually a little over 100, but I'm not going to follow these prices up over that curve. You know, I've been here before. I've been through two recessions. Yep. So I'm saying, you know what? I, I'm going to keep buying great deals with great margins. And if I have to buy less deals, then I'm just going to buy less deals. Because there's a lot of competition out there right now. There's a guru on every corner, every weekend, at every town. And everybody's watching Flip That Whatever. And everyone's a house flipper for at least, you know, a year until they figure out it's work. And then, so I bought 88 houses in 2017. I wholesaled two. I retailed 24 of them, but not all of them did I have to retail. I mean, the deal was good enough to owner finance, but someone in my organization wasn't as wealthy or as stable as I was and they needed to get paid. So I had to sell some things along the way to keep people that were important to me in the game. Mm. And then we owner finance 62 houses. And I averaged $535 per month cash flow. So 62 times 535, how much did I increase my cash flow that year? Let's do the math real quick. I'm not a very good mathematician. I need <laughs> my solar powered dollar calculator. That's how I function my whole life. Uh, 535 times 62 equals, I increased my cash flow this year in 2017. $33,170. Now, out of 62 houses down payments, I probably averaged $8,000 a house on the low side. So 62 times 8,000 in down payments. So I picked up 496,000 in down payments, half a million in down payments. I got paid a half a million to create $33,000 a month cash flow, of which I am not a landlord. No one ever calls me except on the day that I send a foreclosure notice because they can't, because they're not making their payment. That's the only time anyone ever calls me. That's beautiful. Okay? And then I sold 24 houses for retail. I don't know what I made from that. 
But if I just made $10,000 a house, which is not what I did, I made more than that probably, but that's $240,000 in the retails and the two wholesales are not even worth mentioning. So I'm making about a, you know, a little under a million dollars a year to create $33,000 a month in cash flow. I mean, not a month, yeah. And so next year will be another 33,000 and next year will be another 33,000 in cash flow. So you look up, you look up and you got $100,000 in cash flow and four or five or six years, it's over a hundred thousand dollars. No one's calling. This is my argument for not being a landlord. But if you're not, if you're, if you're not going to be a landlord, you have to take that extra step and take the wealth you build from the one-time cash strategies and the temporary cash strategy. You have to take an extra step if you're not a landlord and you have to become one and get your money into a, a forever cash situation. I choose storages. I love that. I love that. Because also, it's really easy. Like when you got storages, I got thirteen hundred doors. I go around thirteen hundred doors, and I, I raise the rents three dollars. Who's going to move out over three dollars a month? But I start at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the list, and by the end of the year, I've raised everybody by three bucks. But thirteen hundred dollars times three bucks, it's thirty nine hundred dollars a month. I increase the revenue. If it's summertime and one hundred and seven degrees, I can raise them five dollars because no one's going to move for five dollars at one hundred and seven degrees. So in June, June, July, and August, I raise everyone five dollars. If they happen to fall on that time when I'm raising, raising. (laughs) ain't nobody moving for five dollars a month when it's one hundred and five in Texas. Man, you could turn that around. (laughs) Turn that around the winter and up north, you could do it when it's you know freeze below freezing. This this is powerful. Like I've had. Uh, amazing time on this podcast episode. I mean, you've shared so much knowledge and these stories and man, you've really, really, really set a lot of things in motion in the minds of a lot of the listeners because I'm excited. I'm amped up. I'm just like, this is, this is amazing. And you know, your strategy is a strategy that I'm very fond of, a strategy that I love at its dearest because you think about, I mean, even the fact that you are taking your passive income, you're taking your income, your active income, you're putting this into a wealth bucket. You're becoming a landlord. Eventually, it's not your process, it's not your primary process, but you're eventually putting this into the landlording bucket. But that strategy in itself, not being a landlord, doing owner financing, you have 62 brand new houses that are cash flowing for, for you last year. And those 62 houses have provided you with a large down payment. I forgot what the down payment was. Uh, oh, almost, half, a half, a million. half a million dollars. 62 houses provided you with half a million dollars worth of down payments and also a brand new stream of cash flow of 30K a month on top of yeah. what you're already doing. So every single year, that's just compounding. Now, I want to I wanna talk to the average listener out there, somebody who's just now about to get started. Is a strategy like this possible for them? Well, look, hold that question right there because I want to back up just a second. Because what I think, I don't know you that well, but I know that, you know, we had a little conversation before and you talked about, you know, landlording and apartments and that stuff. So I think the perfect mix of this is you lease option your house for a year or you lease it. Part of the requirement to buy my house is that you pay 12 months in, in payments on time. I want your down payment now and I want to see 12 months on time and these are the papers we're going to file at the courthouse and make you the owner. I'll even give you credit for your for your, for the what would have been the principal of those payments which in 30 year note is, you know, lucky to get a $1500 credit for the year. Maybe not even that in the first year 30 year note. So you get past your you get past your capital gains, you've been over 12 months, you get past being a dealer, you get depreciation on those houses for a year and then when they prove that they can not all that that they do have a down payment which which they gave you and they prove that they can make 12 points on time then you switch them to you fulfill your promise and you make them the owner and go file the taxpayer make them the taxpayer of record down at the courthouse you know file the papers and you have your first lien and now you have all the best of both worlds you got your depreciation you got past your dealership status they've proven themselves so you didn't have to because if they make it six months and they don't they start making their payments on time it's just an eviction now Okay. And so really what should happen, and I'm not saying that I do this all the time because I got my depreciation from my million dollar storage places and stuff. But if you're just doing houses and you need some depreciation and you need to get past the dealership status, just make sure that part of the requirements for me to finance your sorry butt because you don't have, they don't have good credit is I need the down payment now and I need to see 12 months consecutive on time. That means if you make it to month eight and you're late, you got to start over again with the 12 months. Now, I don't always enforce that to the T, and I'm not trying to break people's backs. And I've certainly, I know good people when I see them, and I know when people 
had a real issue and I'm very forgiving when people deserve it. And I'm sure they're not lying to me because you know, as well as I do, these people can lie with the best of them. You know, yeah. if you get out in this business, it's made me kind of cynical and jaded. If you think I sound overly jaded, just walk in my shoes for 22 years and you won't believe a word anybody says. I had people shave their head and tell me they had cancer. And I give them a year, year and a half of the house for free because I felt bad for them. Find out they never had cancer. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I know we have a few minutes left and it's one of those things to where I wish we could talk all day about this because I'm just fascinated by our conversation and, and there's just so much I want to cover and we might have to bring you on for a part two, but you know, let's talk to that new listener again. Let's talk to that, that person who, who maybe this may be their first time listening to the podcast and you're the first person they're actually hearing talk about some of these things. Is this possible for them? It's such a system of them finding deals perhaps using partners or using credit cards, being able to finance deals you know, and yeah, then but if, if you're going to learn to fly, you got to hire a flight instructor. You don't get in the plane and try to fly the thing by yourself. You get someone who flew the plane already knows how to show you how to fly the plane. I mean, it's crazy. You're going to crash if you don't get someone to show you. I mean, you could, I mean, people like me who jumped out and just figured it out on their own, that survival rate's not good. Yeah. And it's not that I didn't crash. I, they, it just didn't kill me or kill my spirit. Most of the people, when they hit the ground, kills them or kills their spirit. I had something inside me that I just kept getting up. I don't know what it was. Yeah, maybe it was here. athletics. I don't, maybe it was pride. I don't know what it was, but I refused to stop. And I saw the potential. I would have been so much better off if I'd hired, if I'd got someone who had done it before and paid them. I mean, let's think about it. people pay colleges. How much money? What do you get? Yeah. They don't teach you it. They, yeah. <laughs> truth about what happened in history. Don't get me started on that. Don't yeah, get me so, started on that. <laughs> you know, but people won't invest fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to get a coach in a business that could be worth millions. And you can make money while you're learning. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't get crazy. it. But I do understand this. There's a lot of crappy coaches out there that'll take your money and not really help you. So you need to do your homework because yeah. that is a pitfall. Sure, there's sure. crappy people in every business. There's crappy lawyers, there's crappy doctors, there's crappy everything. So find make sure you find out. The person that you want to teach you to do this has done it and is doing it right, probably is still doing it or active. Make sure they're the kind of person you want to be and make sure that you read the reviews and you're clear, you know, or am I going to be talking to you or am I going to be talking to someone that did 20 deals last year that took your program? Which one is it? Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? There's been a lot of them. The Richest Man in Babylon shows the Christian way to do business so you never have to go find a repeat customer. They just line up uh, at your door after your reputation starts to build. Think and Grow Rich changed my life at a time when I thought I needed an education and it, it showed me that millionaires could come from any walk of life at any income level. In fact, there was a lot of it proved that the people that didn't have college degrees were more likely to be successful entrepreneurs because they didn't have a choice. They had glass ceilings because they didn't have a piece of paper. Nothing Down by Robert Allen showed me that you could didn't have to have money to get in a game. You need to, you need to be a, a connector. You need to be a connector of some sort. Self Made in America by John McCormick explained to me why immigrants could come to this country not even know the language and become successful within a decade or so. And people like you and me born here in America at the corner of opportunity success, the vast majority of Americans never figured out how to become financially free in their whole lifetime, 65, 70 years. And I figured out why when I read that book. And it's because two reasons. Those immigrants that come here understand the tremendous infrastructure and value of this system called the United States of America and capitalism and democracy, in which we're really a republic, right, to be governed by laws. We're having a big challenge in that department right now, but I think we're fixing to get back to law. And it also showed me that these immigrants saw that opportunity as so golden that they sacrificed at levels that we Americans are never, are not nearly prepared to sacrifice. They will sleep on the floor of the restaurant and eat the leftovers for two years until they buy that restaurant. And even then they'll stay sleeping on the floor of that restaurant until they buy two more. And then they'll walk out and be free the rest of their life. And they'll do it within about a decade or so. And we Americans are such pansy asses and used to having everything given to us and want everything now and have no sense for delayed gratification that we if you want to know why you're not successful, you're just not willing to sacrifice what it takes. Man, man. So we have to get you back on, Mitch. I, I can't say that enough. <laughs> hey, look, I'm having a bus tour. Why don't you come down on October the 5th through the 7th? I'm having a bus tour. I'm going through my office. I'm going through the neighborhoods. I may have to. I may have to. Yeah, let's definitely, we'll, we'll talk about that offline. I think this is, this, is, this is fascinating. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. 
there's an app that I push a button on it and it gives me a 10,000 foot aerial view and draws the property lines and tells me who owns all the properties. That's the app I like. And I can't, I can't remember what the hell the name of it is. Oh man, uh, you gotta get, you gotta give us that one. <laughs> if you so remember- when I'm driving through the country and I think I might, I might like to buy some land around here. Who, what the hell's going on? It's, there it is. If you remember later on, you definitely have to have to let me know. I'll put it in the show notes. That sounds like a fascinating app. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? My day is never the same, ever. I'm ADD. I get bored easy and it's constant change. Every day is a new day. Every deal is a new deal. Every buyer is a new personality. Every seller. Now, I did learn one of the favorite things that I did. I mean, one of the, you asked me one of the life, life-changing moments. Um, I went to a mastermind because I was, I had tried five times to automate my business and I, and I failed miserably all five times over my fifth. It was about, I was about 15 years in at the time At about 15 years. I decided I was going to quit because I was so friggin' wore out. I've been wearing every hat. I was the buyer. I was the seller. I was a private money raiser. I was the closer. I was the human resources, the hiring guy, the firing guy, the advertising guy. I was the website guy. I was the SEO guy. I was freaking every guy. And I was, you know, I was about to, do what I did in that first business, which was run my ass into the ground. And so I was going to quit because I had enough money and I had enough cash flow. But I thought it'd be a shame to quit this business. It's like a million dollars a year. I mean, maybe I should just give up 400, 500,000 of it and just and still make 500,000, but run it like a real CEO. So I took this mastermind that had a bunch of people in real estate that had done that. And I'm proud to say that I have not seen the last 500 house, uh, the last 300 houses I've bought in my town, and I have not talked to the last 300 buyers. Yeah. And what I mainly focus on is socializing with people that are successful, that have money, and raise the money for the next deals. My job is to fund all the deals in my business. I have acquisition managers, I have salespeople, I have office managers, I have closers. I never go to my office if, unless I just want to, but I, I usually stop by about once a week. Now they can call me on the phone and ask me anything they want and they do from, you know, a couple times a day. Hey, what do you want to do about this? Or this person's not going to make it. Are you going to be brokenhearted? I'm like, nah, go ahead. You know, or looks like this rehab's 10,000 more than we thought it was going to be. Okay, well, let me find 10,000 more dollars. You know, whatever. I'm actively, but it, I'm not there all the time. You know what I mean? That's beautiful, man. Your, your lifestyle, I mean, that's that's the dream. That's what a lot of people aspire, aspire to get to. So I hope that this is inspirational for a lot of listeners. What sacrifices did you know you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? I quit buying toys. I started, in the beginning, I started to focus on, I'm buying an asset. If it's not gonna be worth, I needed to buy things that were gonna make me worth more tomorrow than I was today, for sure. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? There was a guy in town who loves to remain anonymous, so I won't say his name, but his name was Rick. I won't say his last name. Uh, he had over 500 free and clear paid for houses that he owner financed or rented. And he took me under his wing one day and we started a conversation that lasted 22 years. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? We all have mental blocks and mental obstacles and, and limiting beliefs, and you got to figure out what they are, and you have to go to someone to purposely get through it. You have to, like, if you can't raise private money, then you have to go to someone who's raised millions that knows exactly how. You have to pay the money, get in the classroom, and you have to make a commitment to go through that course. I mean, with the bruises and the failures and the rejection and everything else, till you beat it. And then once you hammer that, you pick out your next limiting belief, because there's always one. There, you know, some people don't think they can find deals on houses. If you think you can't find deals on houses, you're right. You can't. We got to change that belief. You got to get with someone who changes the way you think. You know, I changed a lot of people's limiting belief about finding money because they, they always think it's about them. My business partner, the guy I've been with for the last 300 houses, was 25 years old when I met him. His limiting belief that he was too young and no one would give him money because why would these rich people give a 25-year-old the money? I said, that ain't about you. Quit giving yourself. It's about the deal. They just want to know what they're going to get. If you don't pay them the, for the $50,000 that they loaned you, if you don't pay them, what do they get? Well, if they get a $100,000 house, you could be in jail and get this money. Charles Manson could have got that money from the guard. So you got to change their limiting belief. And once I put it to him that way, and I, this is exactly how I raise the private money. I look my, my lenders right now and go, look, 
I want to borrow 50,000. This house is worth 100. This is the proof that it's worth 100. Now, I have two rights every day of my life. I can pay you the interest rate that I agreed every month, or I can hand you the deed of that house. Don't look at me. You don't need to do a credit search on me. You don't need anything. That house is what you're going to get if I don't pay you. If that house isn't good enough, don't do the deal. That's beautiful. That's how we end the show. That's that's amazing. And again, this has been so spectacular. Thank you so much for the value that you've provided. Uh, if the listeners kind of want to get a hold of you, reach out to you, learn a little bit more about your offerings and your business, some of the things that you, got, you guys are doing there in San Antonio, how can they find you? How can they connect with you? Give us all your info here. 1000houses.com. That's all you need to know. You can go there. You find everything. I got my phone numbers and everything. I'm not hard to find. You can probably just Google me, Mitch Steven, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. That's the hardest part. There's no S on the end and no D. In <laughs> I'm not hard to find. I mean, I got my phone number in the front of every book that's ever been out there. People go, why'd you do that? I says, people don't call. The ones that do call, I like to talk to them. Exactly. 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 I love it. Well, Mitch, this has been a pleasure. And again, like I said, we, we have to get you back on. There's so much more to explore. So we will talk to you very, very soon. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a good fit to work with the Before the Millions team, here's what I want you to do next. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. That's beforethemillions.com slash call and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and we'll get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, what is your cash flow goal? How much are you looking to make every month? Number two, your personalized investing strategy. And number three, the best way to get started using cash flowing rental real estate. Remember, starting and scaling your real estate investments and business doesn't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We've helped clients all over the world start and scale their investing efforts to six figures and beyond while enjoying life and making the world a better place. To find out if we can help you do the same, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. I'm Dorel Lallier, and let's talk soon.